Hi, I'm Nikki Schrera, and you're listening to The Jazz Session, the original jazz interview podcast. This is episode 586 for the 9th of February 2022. Vocalist Theo Blackman is in a league and a category of his own. Equally dazzling when interpreting the music of Kate Bush or singing the songs of Charles Ives, he made his ECM Records leader debut in 2017 with his album Elegy. More recently, he collaborated with the brass quartet The Westerlies for their haunting record, This Land. Theo and I talked about his approach to recording versus performing, his cherished collaborations with drummer John Hollenbeck and pianist Shy Maestro, and why clarity and authenticity are so important in a creative life. Here is our conversation. Welcome to the Jazz Session. Hi, Nikki. Thank you for having me. Well, in fact, I should say welcome back because you were last on this show in 2010 where you chatted to Jason about your album, I Dwell in Possibility. And the next year you released your Kate Bush album, Hello Earth, the music of Kate Bush. And I'm a little heartful that actually that album has not been covered on this show. So I will play a track or two off of it because it's one of my favorite albums of yours. And it brings us to present day. You've released two albums. In 2018, you released your debut album for ECM as a band leader called Elegy and then in 2021 you released This Land with the Mm -hmm. brass quartet The Westerlies. But if we look at Elegy and we look at Kate Bush there are two different concepts. Kate Bush you are wading into the waters of another artist that you admire and you are inhabiting her repertoire whereas with Elegy it comprises mostly original music by you. There are a couple of covers but it's a very different approach for an album. So what changes and what stays the same when you are creating an album of your material versus creating a more sort of themed album because you are taking on the material of another artist? Um, it's much scarier to do your own music. 
Um, and it's much more work because you're dealing with composition first and then you're also dealing with arrangement and orchestration. Whereas in Kate Bush's case, I have already a huge catalog of work to draw from. So I, I start working on arrangements and on ideas and then sometimes they overlap and they're redundant. But in my case, if, if, if I'm writing my own music, um, I'm, it's, the decisions are much more difficult for me to choose which piece I, I should focus on and which piece I should leave behind. And um, a lot of the stuff that I prepared for this record is not on the record. Um, so there's a whole other record <laughs> out there with material that could be, um, that will be, and hopefully, uh, you know, we'll see the light of day. Uh, I'm working on an album with Shai Maestro right now for, for ECM, and hopefully that will be recorded in sometime soon. So we'll see. Fingers crossed. I love to hear up front that there is another album in the works, because then it, yeah, puts... Yeah, I mean, Manfred is, you know, is always, yes, 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 and then, but there's a million, you yeah. know, other people in line, and he puts out a lot of uh, records a year, unlike most labels so it's there's a there's a yeah. line <laughs> well i'm glad you're in it and you know sh yes. and moving along in it a line that moves is fine a line that doesn't move yes. that's fine yeah. uh well speaking of yeah. manfred eicher who is ecm personified in many ways and also the ecm label this was not your first time recording for the label because you recorded with the fantastic German pianist julia hulsman um, on her ecm album that was me not you and but this is your first album for the label as a band leader. Mm-hmm. I've worked with, I've worked on two other albums uh, with Manfred on uh, two Meredith Monk albums. Ah, of course. Always yeah. happily to be corrected. Mercy and Impermanence, yeah. Especially if it concerns <clears throat> Meredith. And yeah. yeah, those albums are phenomenal. Okay, so it's your fourth album, first as a band leader, which is a slight difference, a slight shift. Yeah, big difference. Yeah. yeah. When you take stock now because the album came out in 2018 so you've had some time to kind of take it in swim in it enjoy it reflect on it especially now as you go into the next album and prep for that how does the trajectory look for you in coming eventually to be part of ECM which I think for many bystanders has always seemed like oh what a fantastic fit Theo and ECM how fabulous what is it like for you being on the inside of it um it is it, the fit is was already there to me like I already felt so it's really a completion of something that I felt very strongly drawn to aesthetically um, it was a match not in uh, uh, not in something that came as a surprise but that was always there so it, it felt it, it's nerve-wracking a little bit because there's also this pressure of this you know these great artists that have come or are you know around you um, but it felt comfortable and it felt um, sort of the, like the next step, like the logical conclusion of something that I'd been working towards or sort of felt at home at, aesthetically. Well, it's nice to hear that external perception, which is often so at odds with internally what is going on for the person at the eye of the storm was mm -hmm. actually not. And I love that it has come about probably as a result of that sort of, not to sound like Oprah, but that manifestation of this is the path I'm on and it makes sense and it'll be lovely and all the rest. Yeah, and it was it was because of those other uh, records also that Manfred saw me in the studio and how I work and how prepared I am or how, how I deal with changes, you know. 
And so it, I think it's important to understand that, especially for young singers or for young musicians, that when you're working with a producer, the fit has to work both ways. The producer has to want to work with you because of your personality and your music, obviously, but also you want to work with that person. And if you are a musician that doesn't want to be told or made suggestions to, then you're, you're, you know, you're not in a good place with Manfred because he is very hands-on. And that's what, what I love about working with him. Otherwise, I could record it myself. I don't need a producer otherwise, you know. And so... Um, it, on, on Elegy, for example, he had a great idea in the studio to take snippets from some of the pieces that we had already recorded, which he liked, and then makes these little miniatures where semblance and cortege comes from. Um, and so I quickly in the studio arranged and said, you know, let's play this section, let's play that section, but with this orchestration. <clears throat> and that was, that's improvisation <laughs> actually at the, at the core. Improvisatory composition and orchestration, and so that was Manfred's brainchild. It's like I like that you bring that up. Little Elegies, another one that I I particularly mm -hmm. love. This little sort of gem of a yeah. snapshot, I suppose. Yeah. And it is interesting, Theo, to hear you say that because then, in many ways, I think, oh wow, Manfred kind of pulled you out of your comfort zone, whereas I don't necessarily think of you as having a comfort zone because you cover so much ground all while maintaining a very strong sense of self, which in your case, because I learned with you and, and have met you in person, I know how much that ties into you as a person. You know, it, the, the thread runs throughout it. You're very consistent in that way, which is something I'm hugely in awe of and admiring of. But I wanted to know so because you have it, the the album does move you into this realm where there's improvisation and there are these little interludes and i did read in press coverage that you did describe the album in many ways as being a sort of ambience album it creates an atmosphere and it allows you the listener to really just luxuriate in that in being in that world and swimming in the sounds but not all your albums have been like that, right? I think of, yeah, say the Kate Bush album or, you know, your duo work with Ben Monder um, or the fabulous album that you did. Um, I forget, you'll have to remind me of his name with a, a wonderful Japanese composer. Oh, Fumio Yasuda. Oh, I love that. There, lots of humor. There are many more sort of gradient shifts in those albums. Up-tempo, slow-tempo, the things that we think we often need in an album to create variety. Whereas this is a different world, what makes an album of this type, a more atmospheric album, successful? What do you need to guard against in terms of balancing everything? You need to guard against your own instinct of doing too much and showing too many sides of what you want to do because it, it becomes too much of a variety show. Um, when I first started working with Stefan Winter in 2005, he, the producer for Winter and Winter, he said something very, very uh, seminal to me. He said, a CD or an album is not a concert, a concert is not an album. So they're different experiences, like a movie is not a play, right? You, pl you, you act differently in a theater than you would on film. And so th let's, let's take these two comparisons, like theater and film 
like in in a live performance you perform very differently than you would on a record and Manfred actually will point that out to you and he he's come to several of my gigs to hear the music performed live and then says okay this is how we do it in the studio and take some stuff out and you know clear out the stuff that needs to be there in a live performance so <clears throat> that is my advice <laughs> be, protect yourself from what you want and is that something that it ha that has been easy for you to adopt and take on board or is it something that you feel like you figured out over many albums and really mulling over that concept yes. Correct, what you said. Um, it, it takes it takes a while, it takes a few albums to realize what is my aesthetic on an album and how well do I do in the studio uh, capturing something and what am I actually capturing? Am I capturing, trying to capture live performance or something else? And I think for me it's more something else. Um, it's, it's, it's its own entity when I'm going into the recording studio. It's not a performance, it wouldn't hold up as a performance necessarily because it's it doesn't have the ups and downs that a performance needs to have for people to sit there in a chair. What I wanted to ask you was about the people on this album, because by the time this airs, there will have been interviews that aired with two of the people who play with you on this album, the Israeli pianist Shai Maestro, who you mentioned earlier, and your long, long, long time collaborator, the drummer and composer John Hollenbeck. And both Shai and John said terrible things about you. No, they said, <laughs> and I'd like to get your feedback on that. They, you're so lovely, I don't know what they were talking about. They're, they both suck and they're terrible. <laughs> yeah, so let's talk about why you would, you know, aim so low. No, um, <laughs> they, both, they both said such lovely things about you. And what I like is they represent, yes, both sort of collaborators with consistency where you're concerned. Mm -hmm. But Shy is what I would call a newer collaborator. Mm -hmm. And John and you have collaborated for many, many years. And it was lovely to hear what he said about working with you and how it really had shaped his entire outlook on vocalists in general. Mm -hmm. And I think helped him between you and Meredith Monk, it had helped him really solidify an appreciation for and mm -hmm. a love for singers. Mm -hmm. 
what can you say about those collaborations and especially the fact that you are now going on is the next album with shy going to be duo uh hopefully yeah so shy was somebody that emailed me out of the blue i think i still have that email 2015 i think uh to say if he moved to new york and he would like to get together and jam and i was like who's this guy and a jam what the hell does that even I don't jam with just like somebody who emails me randomly and then he had attached a video, a YouTube video and I clicked on it and I was like, we're jamming, we're definitely jamming. So we immediately had a, a musical kinship, but also a personal kinship, very, you know, fun and, and personal and we would hang out and that's very important to me because what I do is so personal that if I just hire you know, a, a pick up a rhythm section, it wouldn't work for my music, it doesn't work at all actually. Um, and so there was a bond there that was very, very unique and hard to find, where you don't have to explain, uh, where you just play and, and you sort of push each other into new territory. And the same could be said for John Hollenbeck, except it's on steroids with him. I mean, he is he's not only a, a composer and drummer but he's also a, an incredible arranger and orchestrator and so with that in mind he's always challenged me to the point of me wondering if what i'm doing is is anything like he's written music that was just a few notes and and the band is trying to figure out how to make music out of it he's really conceptually quite out there in some of the stuff and really really pushing um, boundaries that I didn't even know were boundaries. <laughs> it's just this weird... I mean, he's so ridiculously skilled and so incredibly creative um, that I'm still completely in awe of this guy. And he doesn't stop. He works 24-7. His mind and his heart is in it all the time. So, it, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he said the exact same about you and he recounted a lovely anecdote of you were recording one of the trilogy of albums with Frankfurt Radio Big Band and he recounted that you were in the same hotel as him, maybe a room across the wall and he heard you practicing. I think it was maybe the his arrangement of the Beach Boys, God Only Knows. And he just remembered listening to you practice, but he could tell that you were enjoying the process and that you were just going, 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 up early, doing it, doing it, doing it. And um, I think that filled him with so much glee and also appreciation for the fact that, ah, you were kindred. He couldn't hear you crying yeah. and doing it. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. <laughs> or drinking. Yeah, exactly. He couldn't hear <laughs> you knocking them back. <laughs> so what I appreciate about uh, John Holmbeck and also Ben Monder, whose music I'm recording right now, which is sometimes insanely undoable and that sort of trust in, in 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 me that they have to say we wrote something that is so beyond the beyond but you can make it bring to life is incredibly thrilling to me and oftentimes ben wrote a piece that's kind of out of my range in some places i'm like at first i'm griping about it but i'm like you know what i'm going to figure out how to sing these notes so for the last three days, I've, I've figured out how to sing these notes without, you know, sounding like a shrieking hyena. That's, that, that kind of stuff is fun. Of course, Ben's stuff is also hyper comp 
complex and atonal and 12-tone based in, in, in certain pieces, and that uh, is another challenge. John's is sometimes that, but uh, God Only Knows was a challenge because it was so fast and it were, there were a lot of words. And it's like, why would you possibly write something like this if you didn't know that I could do it? Mm. Right? So there was this feeling of, he knows something about me that I don't know. That's such a great vote of confidence. And also somebody with your sort of personality and tenacity, you're only going to rise to that as opposed to just slink away. Yeah. Yeah. I can't do that. It's too hard. Yeah. I mean, John and both Ben and John have known me since 1994, 1993. So that's almost 30 years. They have seen every aspect of my performing, rehearsing, traveling uh, moods or, or whatever it is. You know, we've been through a lot. So I trust that they know what they're doing for me, with me. I envy that longevity, people who have that relationship with, with collaborators. And we should mention Ben is on Elegy as well, mm -hmm. as is the lovely bassist Chris Tordini. Mm -hmm. So not shabby teammates no, no, at all. No, 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 no. And, and a lot of this music comes to life because of them. You know, it's it, my the way I write music is very... Um, Sort of, I write classically. I, I notate pretty much everything, including uh, chord voicings, and and then you get somebody like Shai, who is so incredibly well trained, um, and can read all that, but then can also say, "Oh, I could suggest this, or I could suggest that," or, and I'm fine with that. I want that. The, the The writing that I do is not usually lead sheet. It's not usually chord changes and a melody and words but is much more complex in, in the way things are laid out or orchestrations change or where I sing and a, another person takes over. All these things have to be, um, have to be rehearsed. You just can't sight read that stuff for the most part um, or explained or run through. Um, and it takes a certain sensibility, a person who doesn't need to solo on every tune, but finds a way to sonically uh, improvise or, or, or create spaces for themselves where they say oh I could I could do something here and I'm like go for it or no we need to move to this section you know that kind of collaborative sideman work is is what I do a lot and I expect it from my musicians as well that they suggest and I can say yes or no or more of that or less of that I am
And speaking of collaborations, Theo, you also often perform in the realm of, I would say, new music, contemporary classical music, um, often singing in German, which is your mother, mother tongue, because English is also your mother tongue by this point. Um, and I remember you still do, I'm sure, when life resumes, you you would do concerts at Die Neue Gallery in New York, uh, sort of German art song. What changes when you go into that space, if anything, in terms of your approach, in terms of your approach to preparation, and then your approach in actually performing? Mm -hmm. um, very little uh, other than vocally, maybe getting ready for <clears throat> some higher belting maybe in some places because I don't I I don't sing classically I don't sound like an opera singer when I sing uh, Schumann Schubert or Wagner or whatever I do it in the way that I feel has validity vocally doesn't castrate the content um, but I do it in my in my voice that I would normally sing in maybe a little bit more robust in some places um, I prepare usually by having to memorize litanies of of um, of, of uh, lyrics and that's something I don't like to do uh, memorizing lyrics but there it is I mean I have to for weeks uh, just go through you know if you if you have a if you sing Winterreise that's 24 songs and some of them I sing in German some of them I sing in English I wrote French lyrics to some of them I mean it's a bear um, and then the forms, you have to remember the forms and all that stuff. So it is a different kind of uh, preparation. But it's very much like new music, where you're, you know, what what space am I in here? What voice, uh, what, what part of my voice do I need to amplify? Or do I need to amplify anything in my voice? Or is, is just middle of the road, home base, perfect for this? Which usually it is. Yeah. Yeah. Have you always felt comfortable inhabiting these other genres and other worlds? Or was there a moment where something clicked where you kind of sloughed off any excess of insecurity and you thought, actually, it doesn't matter where I came from or that, you know, there's a recording of me scatting with Sheila Jordan. I can I can be here. I can live here. Mm -hmm. um, I always I was always comfortable singing uh, classical or contemporary music without having a classical sound, without having a bel canto sound. I don't know why, but I always felt like, well, I'm singing the notes, I'm pronouncing the words perfectly, I am not doing, rhythmically, I'm totally on, like, what's the problem here? Why shouldn't I be singing this? Is there, does it say somewhere, like, bel canto only? No, it says andante. You know, so yeah, I could sing it. So that was never a problem. The, the 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 sort of first hurdle was to perform it in public because who would want to hear me sing German art songs or Charles Ives or Wagner? You know, this doesn't make any sense at first. And so I snuck in a tune or there in a program, and it worked, and nobody complained, and nobody was like, "You shouldn't be singing this kind of music." Um, and then it was sort of, I'd, I'd done the, the Charles Ives project, but when I was in my 20s, I loved Charles Ives so much that I learned a lot of his songs, like half of his book at least. And so I had a, a kinship with a pianist, Denman Maroney, who was in Mark Dresser's band, and we started to just work up Charles Ives' repertoire. 
and bless Denman because that stuff is hard, not only for the singer, but for the piano player, particularly on certain pieces. And so we just got together and just played through these songs as best as we could. And that sort of pushed me to that realm and, and inhabiting that as a space I could actually do. And Charles Ott is a perfect crossover because he is number one American. He has uh, written very strange songs and very short form songs and very uh, sort of clustery, you know, kind of music um, at times. And then very, very simple folksy uh, church kind of melodies. So it's perfect, perfect for me perfect for me to try things out. Something Hello, a quick note from me, Nikki, to tell you how you can best support the jazz session if that's something that tickles your fancy. This podcast is made possible thanks to the support of listeners who are so enthused by these conversations that they head over to Patreon to join the Jazz Session's Patreon page. They become patrons. If you go to thejazzsession.com slash join, that's thejazzsession.com slash join, it will link you to the Patreon page and you'll be able to find out more about how you can become a member for as little as $5 per month today. So please do head over to that link if that sounds interesting and enticing to you. There are all sorts of perks to be had and there are only two tiers of membership, $5 a month or $10 a month take your pick. The other way that you can support the podcast is by rating or reviewing the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. This takes a matter of seconds, rating it to be specific, and it helps with the podcast's visibility on web pages, in searches. It helps other folks who might be interested in these conversations find the podcast. Really important and invaluable in the world of podcasting. The other way you can support this show is by tweeting, Facebooking or Instagramming about the show at large or about specific episodes that you know you really enjoy so please do feel free to give the show a shout out and if you tag the jazz session on any of those social media platforms I'll be sure to repost your 
wonderful praise and gladly so. So thank you for listening and for any support that you may show the podcast now or in the near future. The other album that came out even more recently in 2021 in January was called This Land and it was with the brass quartet The Westerlies of whom I'm a big fan and one of the trumpeters in that group Chloe Rowlands was a guest on the previous season and chatted to Jason on this show which was so lovely so I do urge listeners go and revisit that conversation after listening to Theo and my conversation and how did that collaboration with that group come about? Um, it was through a, f- a very uh, sort of uh, instant uh, collaboration that they um, wanted to do with several singers, Vuyo and some singer-songwriters and myself, to, to, to do a record with just singers, all, all singers. And um, I, I suggested a song, uh, Another Holiday, which is on that record, um, and we started to work on the uh, on the arrangement and I, I threw in suggestions and it was very collaborative from the beginning and very joyous and very fun and a lot of love and a lot of laughter and then um, the the Trump election happened and we were in the middle of working and we went we went to this pub down here and we were just completely destroyed like we didn't know you know what to do and I suggested that maybe we should make a record of resistance, like find a way for us to work um, with politically tinged ideas, but not in the way that usually political protest music is associated with it, just a declamatory, loud, pie-in-the-face kind of uh, approach, but make it a record that's actually really irresistible to listen to, like something that's really fine and beautiful and tender that addresses this complete heartbreak that we were feeling and, you know, still in. So uh, that's how it started. It started as a, a project called uh, Songs of uh, um, Refuge and Resistance. Um, so a place where we could find refuge with each other, preach to the choir, because the choir does need preaching too. We need allies in our, in our fight or in our, you know, what we're going through. And then also trying to think politically beyond our own little walls of, you know, America and all that stuff. So, <clears throat> yeah, that's how this came about. And then we started um, to... Uh, look for residencies and found a resi- residency at Yellow Barn where we actually put everything together. Well, mission accomplished because the album does everything that it sounds that you set out to have it accomplished. And yet it's interesting because in the arch of the Westerlies discography, there is an energy on this album that perhaps does stem from the fact that it came out of this time where there's this sort of political unrest in the world uh and it's really astonishing because uh, it's yeah it's it's a fantastic album i urge everyone to listen to all of it although of course you will hear snippets during this conversation um excerpts only just to be clear i kind of think about you working with a brass quartet the same way as i would think about somebody suddenly working with a cordless trio what changes or what remains the same in terms of your being a vocalist and navigating the material and being with your bandmates when it's just brass quartet? 
Um, you have a sense of freedom that you don't have with the rhythm section, obviously, because it's for, uh, you know, melodic instruments. For me, it's more like, I don't think of them as a brass quartet, but as a string, a string quartet that plays brass instruments. When I first heard them, and the reason why I pushed into or wanted to collaborate with the Westerlies was their sound. Their sound is so, uh, so tender for a brass quartet. Not always, you know, they have their, they have their power too, but it, it has this, this warmth that I'd never heard. The first time I heard, I put the CD on, they sent me a CD as a, you know, just listen to us, kind of like what Shai did. Um, and uh, I, I, the, the moment I put it on, I started to, to tear up. I l actually started to tear up. And it was so, I was so moved by that sound that, again, irresistible, like how could you not love this? There's just, you can't resist. It's so beautiful what they do. Um, and so from that place, that's this absolute place of love and adoration and reverence is where I wanted to create something with them. And so I think of them as, and I've worked and I've written string quartet music, I think of it more like a string quartet kind of uh, idea that, yes, you can create chords, you can create, create clusters, all that kind of stuff. And for the, I think for the first time, the Westerlies overdub themselves on some of the tracks. So there is, you know, I pushed them into sort of a, not a looping space, but an ambient kind of a space that they'd never explored. And it was really fun for them also to do something that they'd never done. Just, it's not just accompanying me, right? Mm. It's a lovely marriage of artists. I do fear though, Theo, that given that we've covered two successful solicitation stories, you're going to get bombarded with emails <laughs> and attachments after they'll be like, well, he said yes to Shai, it worked for Shai, it worked for the Western. Here we go. Here's my latest album of, you know. <coughs> oh gosh. Anyway, so this is not an invitation to approach, but by all means, by all means you know. Find me.
Speaking of, the, I didn't know the backstory to this album and how the theme came about. I do think of you in many ways as the king of concept. It's something I also chatted to John a bit about. I said, John, you and Theo share this in my mind, where your albums are so conceptually strong and defined. So I will ask you the same question I asked him, which is, is this something you are aware of or is it just something that happens because of your process from concept to creation? Uh, both. I think my first uh, album as a leader was Origami. And right there, you have a concept that the concept was that uh, since I was an origami nerd and was, you know, belonged to the Origami Society of America, loving the idea that everything comes out of a, a square piece of paper. You can create anything with a voice, a square piece of paper you can create. So that was sort of the conceptual idea behind it, and then the pieces fell into place. For me, it's often easier to create something uh, with a concept behind it because then a lot of questions are already answered uh, as far as repertoire, arrangement, uh, who to work with. Um, and so th to me, it actually makes sense. Um, it still does. Maybe uh, the next album will be less so. But so far, I've, I've felt that that really helps determine having a bit more consistency in what I'm presenting. So I'm not just presenting my best hits because I sing them well. Like, who cares? Right? I mean, it was a little bit trying to, to figure out a way to um, bring things together, to group them, to curate pieces together. Theo, from afar, sort of using you as a, a case study and listening to your albums, it has really taught me a lot about the idea of a concept, which is something that, in fact, I will add here, although it's a perfectly random nugget of Nikki's opinion or input, if you are applying for arts grants, the idea of a concept will really help you write that grant or writing the grant will help you solidify the whole shtick of what you're doing, which just makes for a whole, just, I think, a better, you know, it's part of the prep. And I think so often it gets overlooked. Yeah. But having been on many of those arts panels, you know, as a as a judge or as a juror, you also get an eye roll every other uh, every other application because these things are harebrained sometimes and pulled out of some universe that is ridiculous. So when I say concept, it has to be true to what I feel, what I love. I didn't do this Kate Bush album because I thought it would be successful at all. It's because I grew up with Kate Bush and she was my Madonna. She was the, my star when I was a teenager. And my, the record company that I was with was did not get it at first. I'm like, you want to do what? Um, I had done you know, an album with the Basel Chamber Symphony and I'd done an album with, with John Holmbeck and Gary Versace up to that point. And then I was going to do a Kate Bush cover album it, they were not into it at all and I and this was kind of before the big Kate Bush wave sort of swept over and she, she went back to performing for for 10 concerts and all that stuff um, so it was sort of this weird idea that nobody really liked and thought was a good idea and nobody really knew Kate Bush half of them you know half of the instrumentalists were like oh yeah I think I know and so it, it 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 wasn't what it then became, which was you know this oh wow you know 
we can do this <laughs> with our music. Um, so I'm saying this because concepts can, don't work unless they're really heartfelt. They're really from, from what you want to be doing, not something you think you should be doing or will read well because of political correctness or artistic out-there-ness. Um, no, that doesn't work. Out in the garden there's half of a heaven And we're only bluffing We're not ones for busting through walls But they told us unless we can prove that we're doing it We can't have it all Gonna waggle away to get out of it She's an excuse and a witness will talk when he's called But they told us unless we can prove that we're doing it We can't have it all And this is a very broad question, so you're welcome to narrow it down if you want. What is it, more often than not, that you're responding to? What is it that you like? What is it that you appreciate in other vocalists? God, that is... that, that It varies from vocalist to vocalist, I guess. A sense of authenticity, obviously, and a sense of, I think, clarity in, in what they're doing. Um, and as I'm saying these, I can think of <laughs> 10 other people who are murky in their... Um, no, but the sense of... <clears throat> if we're talking vocalists, I know this sounds weird, but I listen for the most part also for a sense of um, clarity in, in their singing so that I don't feel that they're straining, hurting, or doing something to their voice that's manipulated. Sense of openness and freeness and strength and, and a beauty that could be, you know, could be could be free improvised or could be crazy 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 but a sense of of, <clears throat> of beauty in a way that is um respecting the instrument and when you're teaching because you lecture at the manhattan school of music in new york and you've just come back from teaching at siena jazz what are what is the most important thing or what are one or two of the most important things that you feel like student it could be tertiary, it could be high school, it doesn't really matter. Vocalists or jazz instrumentalists should know. What's the nugget, if you had to pick one, that you'd want to impart? The nugget is that if you are deciding to be in this creative music, if you want to call it jazz, alternative music, whatever, um, you're in it for the long haul. So when I hear students at 27 talk about how old they are, um, I, I, yeah, it's it's very disheartening because everybody's living in this bubble of Instagram likes and instant instant gratification. 
to me, the gratification is in sitting in that hotel room and practicing John Holmbeck's God Only Knows arrangement. That's, that's a payoff. Not necessarily the performance, which in the first couple of uh, two concerts wasn't as great as, you know, we wanted it to be because it's hard as F and the band too was struggling. But there's so many, pl so the path is the, is the, <laughs> is the payoff. And um, the other thing that I instill in, in the program, which is uh, graduate only at Manhattan School, as you know, um, is to think of yourself as an artist, not as a singer only. And I, I never call myself an artist because I think it's pretentious, but a meaning that I want you to think about what you're con contributing to this art form, what you can contribute, how you can push the envelope, how you can continue the tradition like where where do you want to be and how can you get there those are the like philosophical questions about why am i making music why am i making this music why am i singing this song why am i singing this lyric why am i singing in the way i'm singing it and i think that in a lot of um, jazz traditional programs we take over the tradition without questioning why we're doing it ourselves to me the reason why i'm attracted to jazz or in jazz and working with jazz musicians is the sense of rebellion and the sense of renewal, of reverence to the history, love for the history, and then also where can I squeeze in? Is there can I, is there a wiggle room for this thing I could do in this in this music? Rather than thinking of yourself as a commodity, as a as a uh, performer who needs to be sold and liked by other people be the be the performer that's liked by yourself first i have to say it's 10 years since i graduated from manhattan school of music and having the great fortune of learning with theo in many shapes and forms weekly and i have to say man oh man hearing you talk now and just like lapping it up i have missed it so you might <laughs> miss you nix no i cannot tell you how much what you're saying resonates with me and i mean apropos the i'm 27 and i'm old you know i'm 35 and i'm old but i mean it never lands and doesn't just hit home this sort of just really smart no bs wisdom and advice from somebody like you and i i hope that other people are lapping it up in a sense of absolute just happiness the way that I am because to hear it cannot hear it enough times I will tell you that much when you have to allow for yourself to be happy in what you're doing without having the the official payback of being on the cover of downbeat or some silly you know random idea of what you should achieve but if you have a life in music that is a huge achievement that is huge if you can afford your rent based on teaching and doing occasional gigs and all this stuff, you are living a life in music. That is phenomenal. That's huge. Don't dis don't diminish that. Yeah. That's such a fabulous place on, on which to end. And I will say that when you and Shai release this next duo album, I would love to have you both on the show together and to talk to both of you at the same time about the process so that you really just can't, you know, smear talk each other behind one's back as you'll want to do, you know. You might have to bleep out a lot of our 
stupid jokes. It's yeah. fine. When I upload it, I'll just tick that little box <laughs> yeah. with the E for explicit. Yeah, exactly. don't worry. You won't be the first one that, you know, Hillary Gardner dropped a bomb and I was like, note to self, mark the E. It's, it's explicit. <laughs> just L- I love... I have a soft spot for women swearing like sailors. <laughs> Alison Wedding is the best at it. She's awesome. <laughs> oh, gosh. I cannot thank you enough for coming on the show and catching us up some. I mean, I really do urge people to go to Theo's website to look through the discography because there are a million, what feels like a million and one albums yeah. that have come out between 2010 and now because you are you are just... You, your output is so miraculous and brilliant um, and and plentiful. So, you know, we're lucky for it. So I, I do hope that people will go and get caught up in that way and that this is the door in. Yeah. Enjoy what you're doing, no matter what scale it is. If you're playing at a cafe, if you're in a tiny little studio, if you're laying down tracks, be grateful. <laughs> be grateful as F at all times for what you're doing. That's my advice. Because I, ever since this pandemic, every time I sing, I'm just like, oh, I'm so grateful that I can still do this. So doesn't have you don't have to be a superstar to be happy in this sage words and we're so grateful yeah. that you can do this too and looking forward to all that is to come so thank you so much Theo. thank you nikki you're the best call me <laughs> our little army boy is coming home from the field i have a bunch of purple flowers to decorate a mammy's hero Morning in the aerodrome, the weather warmer, he is colder. Four men in uniform to carry home my little soldier. What could he do? Should have been a rock star. But he didn't have the money for a guitar. What could he do? Should have been a politician. But he didn't have the proper education. What could he do? Should have been a father. But he never even made it to his twenties. So what a waste of army dreamers. What a waste of army big thank you to this week's guest Theo Blackman. You can buy Theo's music wherever you find your music and that includes his ECM album Elegy and his collaboration with the Westerlies, This Land. You'll be able to find details about the tracks that were played today in the show notes for this week's episode. As usual, I will post those and any other names or links that we might have mentioned. A huge thank you to the Respect Sextet at respectsextet.com for the theme music of this show. You're welcome to follow The Jazz Session on Twitter, at Jazz Sesh, and on Facebook and Instagram, at The Jazz Session. There is also a YouTube page to which you can subscribe if you want to watch video excerpts of my conversations with the Jazz Sessions guests. A huge thank you to the patrons over at thejazzsession.com slash join. Head there today if you want to become a Patreon member. And thank you to the listeners for tuning in and to any support that you may shower upon this show, whether it's telling a friend, family, or four-legged pal about how much you enjoy these conversations. My name's Nikki Schrerer, and I will see you next week for another conversation with an astounding jazz musician about their music and their process here on The Jazz Session. 